Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. James chapter 3. While, while we're, before we get there, let me, I want to read this, um, this mission statement. This is one of the, the best mission statements that I've ever read. Listen, listen to this. It says, Everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. How clear, how simple, how profound. And that is a mission statement of a school. Now, when you hear that, you might think that's one of our uh, great seminaries uh, that are training up young men and young women into ministry, or that might be one of our great Christian universities in our country. Well, that mission statement is actually the founding mission statement of Harvard University. Founded upon the biblical principle that the life of man should be to aim to study to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That was the founding mission statement. 350 years later, at the 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, a former president acknowledged this. The bad news is the university has become godless. How do we shift so drastically from being aligned with the things of God and godliness to godlessness? What is building our church? What is building our life? How do we as God's people Guard against the the drift and the shift that can so easily happen even within us. This morning, I want us to look at two sources or two kinds of wisdom. You know, it's interesting. I've been here for, I think, 10 months, maybe 11, depend on who's counting and when you count from. But in that season of my life here as your pastor, this will be my third sermon on the topic of wisdom. Now, let me just be very clear. The search committee did not tell me going into this that these people lack wisdom and they really need wisdom. So if you could, if you could build in maybe every now and then sprinkle in some sermons on wisdom, that was not the case. This was not planned. This was not intentional. This was simply just as we teach scripture, wisdom comes out. It's important. It's valuable. We talked through Psalm 119 and what the Word of God brings, and it says it brings wisdom. Now that we're studying James, James has already addressed the issue of wisdom in chapter 1, and now he's bringing it back up in chapter 3. As we teach and look at Scripture for many years to come, there will be many sermons on wisdom because it's just everywhere in Scripture. It's so important. But here, James specifically looks at these two kinds of wisdom. And what I think happened with Harvard is that at some point along the road, those in leadership, those in the the, the sphere of influence of the university shifted from looking to the wisdom of God to the wisdom of man. It became more convenient. It became more practical. It became easier. It became more profitable. It became a better plan according to earthly wisdom for them to shift away from the things of God. And in so doing, they became, as the former president said, godless. 
So in our lives, what I want us to understand and know is that the trajectory of our life, and I would say the trajectory of our families, the trajectory of our marriage, the trajectory of this church will depend upon the source of wisdom to which we cling to. And so James addresses these two kinds of wisdom. Read with me from James chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. So as we read this, we see, hopefully you saw, there's two kinds of wisdom that James addresses. There's wisdom that is from above, as he says in verse 17, and then there's this other wisdom that he describes as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so the question for us, the question for you this morning is this, which source, which wisdom are you clinging to in your life? Because whichever one you do will affect the trajectory, the outcome. It will affect your life and those around you. So let's study this together. The first truth that I want us to know is this, that the wisdom of God, very simply, the wisdom of God leads to a godly life. Now, that's a very profound statement, right? Like godly wisdom, obviously it would lead to a godly life. But I want us to think through this. James is in full throttle preaching mode here, right? Like he, if, if you were here last week, we studied what he said at the first part of this chapter and he's talking about the tongue and he, we need to be careful about what we speak and that we need to, to guard that. And he says that the, the tongue is set on fire by, by hell. And like, and he's got some very strong words for us as Christians when it comes to the words that we speak. And, and really to tie that into what he's talking about now, there's a sense in which wisdom, godly wisdom needs to filter our mouths. It needs to filter how we speak because it is the tongue, right, that begins to affect our life. So there's this connection there. There's this correlation. He ties these together. But notice what he says. He, in this middle of the sermon, if you will, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, who is wise in understanding among you? Now, if you were asked that, like in the context of a sermon, who is wise among you? I mean, some of you, I don't know, maybe just like might say, well, I'm, I'm actually fairly wise. Right? There, there, there's a sense in which, I mean, many of you are very wise. Right? I, I, I know you and I know how God's at work in your life. And, and I see that and I'm grateful for that. Some of you are very wise in a lot of different ways. But James is asking this question because what he's wanting to get at is this understanding of really, are we indeed wise? And if we are, then there will be a correlation between our wisdom and our conduct and the way that we live. Our godly life will overflow out of that. But notice he doesn't just say who among you is wise. He says who is wise and understanding. 
There's a correlation, a, a tie between these two words. Wisdom, we, 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 we think of wisdom and we think of just a wise sage who has all this wisdom that we go to when we need discernment. Wisdom is beyond just knowledge. It's beyond just knowing information. It's beyond simply just even seeing and having the wisdom. It's that we have wisdom and understanding, meaning that we step into there is action behind the wisdom of which we have. So in other words, James is not just saying which of you are wise, but rather which of you have wisdom that is then leading to understanding, which leads to then action. See, we have the ability to know and have insight into the ways of God. But then we actually step into those ways. That's what wisdom and understanding of God is that we walk in those ways, we follow those ways, we believe in those ways, we trust in those ways, we see that our life is found and rooted in those ways. In other words, if we have wisdom from God, we will live in that wisdom in light of the ways of God. He goes on and he asks this question. He says, who among you is wise? And he says, if that's you, then by his good conduct, by your good conduct, let them show it. If you claim wisdom, then that ought to be demonstrated by the conduct or the way of your life. How do you conduct yourself in this world, church? We know how easy it is to come into this building and to, on a Sunday morning, to put on a, 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 uh, a mask, a costume, a, a sense of, man, this is, I'm at church. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta act like I'm at church. We conduct ourselves in a manner, in a way here. But what James is getting at is how do you conduct yourself out there? When we live as missionaries in the world, when people look at us and they know that you're a part of church, that you claim Christianity, is there a sense in which they look at your life and they see the conduct of it and say, man, there must be some kind of wisdom that they are leaning in on that's guiding them and leading them in their life. It affects their way of life. James says, let that one show himself. The whole series of James, the whole book that we've been talking about is that it is a faith that we have. An authentic faith leads to action. It leads to work. It's a faith that works. And quite simply, what James is saying is if you have an authentic faith, it's going to transform your life and it's going to lead to faithfulness. But now what he's saying is if you have godly wisdom, then that godly wisdom will also lead to work. It will lead to conduct. It will lead to godliness. Paul speaks when he writes about his life before Christ and his life after Christ. When we share our testimony, we speak about how God is at work in us and how he's leading us on towards this godliness. How do we grow in this godliness? We learn to gain and cling to the wisdom of God and his ways and not our own. And so James says, what does he say? He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This word meekness is the same word. It means humility. There's a meekness, a humility that comes with this understanding. And church, don't miss this. We will never walk in the wisdom of God until we have come to the place of living in the humility before God. So for us to 
submit to and to understand the wisdom of God that leads to godliness, we have to come to a place of humility, of meekness to say that my wisdom, man's wisdom, isn't always the best. I need to submit to another wisdom, which is God's wisdom. And in that humility, then we can step in obedience to it. And so what James is showing is there's this cyclical nature of spiritual godly wisdom that is tied to humility. Wisdom gives us the humility to understand and to discern that our wisdom, man wisdom, earth wisdom, doesn't lead to life. It's not what we need. And so to submit to that, we've got to be humble and reject our own pride of thinking that we're wise. And in that, then we can step into godly wisdom. And as we step into godly wisdom and walk in that, it leads to more humility, which allows us to step into more wisdom. And so James shows us this power of this concept. James addresses this in chapter four, verse six. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes, what? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is what wisdom allows us to do. It allows us to be at a place of humility, of meekness, to receive God's ways instead of our ways, God's view, God's wisdom instead of our wisdom, and then we can step into that. And so this is what this wisdom does in us, and it allows us to walk in obedience to God. And what does he say? He said, allow that to show work. Let him show his works. The power of this statement, don't miss this. Our ability to work is not rooted in our own wisdom and our own ability to do the work. The only way that we work, according to Scripture, is in submissive, humble, um, walking in obedience to the wisdom of God. So if you go back to John chapter 15, it's one of my favorite passages where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the what? You're the branches. And if anyone abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So our ability to bear fruit, our ability to do the work that James is talking about is rooted in our abiding in the wisdom and the fellowship and the relationship with God. In that, that leads to and bears fruit in a godly life that works itself out. Church, anything good in our lives, anything that happens through our lives is God at work in us and through us. And that only happens in the meekness and the humility of godly wisdom and us submitting willingly and walking in obedience to that. Earlier in James, James says the implanted word of God leads to, bears fruit of salvation. So God plants his word in us, the seed of God's word, the gospel, and it leads to salvation. And now what he's saying is God implants and puts within us godly wisdom, which then leads to godly living. So it's something from God that leads to our godliness. Parents, I want to encourage you and challenge you. I would imagine if you're in this room, you long for your kids to be godly, to live a godly life. Well, what does this passage teach us about how we parent and how we lead our kids to this godliness? Well, their godliness is rooted in their submissiveness to the wisdom of God. 
So we demonstrate what that means in our own lives, how to walk in that wisdom. We pray that they would be submissive and, and be able to discern and know the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, and that they would be humble enough to submit to that. Long for those things, pray for those things, model those things for your children. Godly wisdom leads to godly living. Number two, the wisdom of the world leads to a toxic life. The wisdom of the world leads to a toxic life. Now, I, I wrestle with what word to put in here, right? This, this word toxic, that, that's, that's an interesting word, and I, I chose it for several reasons. One is because we understand what toxic means, don't we? Like, we, we understand. When we lived in the Dominican Republic, we, we had an apartment, and we had lots of ants, and we actually ended up with, um, um, my brain is not working, um, termites. That's the word I was looking for. All in our closets. They were built-in closets and furniture. There were termites. And so we just had all sorts of issues. And so we went to the, the folks that oversaw the apartment, and we just said, hey, there's some issues. We're having, you know, all these kind of things. Can you guys do something about it? And they're like, sure, we'll take care of it, no problem. So the next thing we know, we're at our apartment, we get a knock on the door, and these two gentlemen show up. One of them is wearing, you ever seen the guys that are blowing leaves out on the driveway, the commercial ones with the backpack straps and the big giant engine and the big hose that comes out and they're doing this thing? This guy shows up with one of those on his back. But rather than blowing air, he's going to blow chemical into our apartment. And I'm sitting here thinking, is this safe? Is this going to be okay? Are we going to die an early death from this? I don't know. So there's like, yeah, just get out of the, out of the apartment, uh, give it a few hours, let it air out, and you'll be fine. You can come right back in. And so we're, we're not really sure exactly what's going to happen. And so we leave the apartment, we go down and we're standing there. And next thing I know, I hear this engine crank up, right, inside my apartment. And the next thing I know is these massive clouds of who knows what, come billowing out of the windows of our apartment. And I'm just looking at Nikki and I'm thinking, we're going to die an early death. We're going to heaven. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I mean, they're like, yeah, it's, just give it a few hours. And we're, we go back in and the stench is horrific. We're looking at and we're realizing like all of our dishes, all of our bedding, all of our clothes, who knows what is on it. And we literally scrubbed every dish that night. I mean, we washed every clothes. I mean, it was just one of those things because we understand, right? We understand what toxic things do to us physically. It, it, I mean, who knows really what we breathed in? I, I really don't know. But what I do know is it didn't impact me right then. If, if we are exposed to toxicity in our lives, it, it takes time, it breeds. And I think what we miss sometimes is there's toxic things that we allow to grow in our heart that immediately doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but then as time goes, it grows and it festers and it leads to destruction. And I think that's what James is getting at when he says that this wisdom of this world, it leads to a toxic life. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Notice the, notice the shift of where he's going in this passage. He's saying, how many of you are wise and have understanding? Let, let him demonstrate that by the humility of his life. And then he says, but if any of you have this bitter jealousy, this selfish ambition, if these things are in your heart. What does he say? Do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, don't with your mouth claim to be wise, but yet your heart is showing a complete opposite reality. Don't lie to yourself. Don't miss this. And so what he's speaking about are these 
things that grow in our life that become toxic. Church, this is important to know that what is growing in your heart reveals what is planted in your heart. If there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that is growing within you, there is a seed of envy that has been planted at some point in your life that is being allowed to grow. And what scripture says is that we need to confess that. We need to repent of that. We need to allow God and his mercy to come and rip out that weed in your life. Otherwise, it will continue to grow and it'll continue to grow and it'll fester and it'll lead to some things as we'll see here in a minute. There's a stark contrast between these two realities between the humility of God and the selfish ambition, the jealousy that so easily happens within our life. This seed of envy, if you think back to Adam and Eve and their choice to to choose to go against God's command really is a result of envy. It's, It's this desire of something that they don't deserve or need or have. Cain and Abel, the issue between the two of them, it was envy, it was jealousy, and it led to murder. And there's just this sense in which this happens within us over time. It allows bitterness to grow within us. One person described bitterness this way, bitterness is drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Don't allow bitterness to fester within you. Worldly wisdom leads you down a path of this every single time. And so he says, don't, be, don't boast and be false with the truth. In other words, don't boast about your wisdom and show yourself to be a liar through your selfish ambition and jealousy that's eating you up on the inside. And then in verse 15, he describes what this wisdom or where it comes from. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. In other words, the things of God will never produce these things in your life. It is a different kind of wisdom. And this is where he describes these different kinds of wisdom. He says, first, it's earthly. And it's this progression from earthly to unspiritual to demonic. And, and what he says first is this wisdom is earthly. It's, it's man-centered, if you will. It's man's opinions. It's, it's allowing ourselves to not consider God's perspective. It's looking at things and situations from a temporal viewpoint. And if we were just honest in this room, so many choices, so many ways that we go about living and filtering our life happens through this lens. It's earthly. It's simply just looking at the practical realities. And I think Harvard was at a point where they just looked at practical realities and it was earthly and it wasn't thinking about anything else. And they began making choices and it begins taking them on a different path. Well, left unchecked, when you do that, it then leads to an unspiritual nature behind this. In other words, it's the natural man rather than the spirit-led man guiding and directing and leaning on that understanding and that wisdom. Scripture talks all the time of this comparison between the natural man versus the spirit-led man. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to them. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, if you are a natural man, you are missing out on the whole scope of what God has and the whole perspective and the whole, it's just not even discernible. 
And so you miss out entirely on what God has as you lean on your own natural man's wisdom. But then he goes on and he calls it demonic. And this is, this is that moment in the sermon where like everyone's kind of falling asleep and he says, your wisdom is demonic. And then all of a sudden it wakes someone up because they're like, demonic? We, do, can we say that in church? And, and this is what James is getting at. He's hitting hard here. He's saying essentially when we cling to the wisdom that is earthly, that is uh, unspiritual, ultimately we are aligning our ways with the ways of Satan himself. Satan longs to still kill and destroy, is what scripture says. He is a deceiver. He longs to harm. Now, what James is saying is not that there are Christians who are demonic. But what James is saying is that when we as Christians align not with the wisdom of God, but rather the wisdom of man and the man-centered wisdom, we are aligning with the demonic ways of what, God, what Satan is wanting to accomplish in your life, in your family's life, in the church, and in the world around us. And he's saying, be careful. Be careful. And this is the power of the deception that worldly wisdom has to cause us to think pridefully that we know what's best, but in so doing, we then align ourselves with his plan to still kill and destroy. If you remember, James said in chapter three, a little bit, a few verses before this, that it's the tongue that is set on fire by what? By hell. And so that, that, that's a practical way in which he uses man's wisdom to say, I can say what I want, I can do it how I want, to speak and then accomplish what he wants to accomplish. It's demonic. And so look at the results, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, those things exist where someone has rejected the wisdom of God and taken on the wisdom of man. There will be what? Disorder in every vile practice. In other words, when we walk in the wisdom of man that is earthly, unspiritual, and ultimately demonic, we will lead ourselves down a pathway that will lead to disorder, to chaos, to unstableness, to a sense of, of chaos around us. And then ultimately to every vile practice. This is the danger. This is why it's so important that we cling to the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man. Now, as we think about this idea of disorder, I want you to understand that James, again, is speaking to a church. And if you look at chapter four, verse one, he says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? So there's clearly some dissension. There's clearly some infighting. There's clearly disorder among the body. And so this is so practical for us as a church. If we aren't careful, and we as individuals, as leaders, as people of this body, if we begin to cling to the wisdom of man, of what is practical, and what sounds good, of what helps our own interests, we will find ourselves on a path towards disorder and unhealth and dissension and brokenness and infighting. Church, there are a lot of churches that are no longer churches because of that path. And we want to build this church. We want God to build this church upon the rock of Jesus Christ. 
And that happens as we walk in the wisdom of God. And so we must be careful, but it doesn't just apply to our church. It applies to our marriages. It applies to our family. It applies to our community. It applies to so much that when we walk in the ways of this world, when we walk in the wisdom of our own self, we will find that our families have disorder. Our marriages have disorder. Our relationship with our kids have disorder. There's chaos. There's brokenness. There's all these things that are the result of us choosing that wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. And then he goes on to say, and every vile practice. I don't know of a better way to describe this than to look at Romans chapter 1. See, James is writing some incredible truth, and then Paul just describes the result of what happens if you don't do what James says. Listen to Romans chapter 1. It's, it's, a, it's a long section, but just bear with me. It'll be on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed, this is Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they what became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen, claiming to be wise. Come on, that's, that's the worldly wisdom. That's what James is talking about right here. They're claiming in their own pride to be wise. But listen what happens. They became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their flesh. Listen, when we go down this path of choosing our own wisdom and thinking that we ourselves are wise, it leads down this path to order. And what we'll see, it leads to every vile practice. Listen, the wrath of God, sometimes we think it's like lightning bolts coming down, Right? But right here, what does the wrath of God do? It simply just allows us to have our own, our own path, our own way. He, he says, that's what you want, then this is your path. This is what you get. And he knows, and what Scripture is telling you and us this morning, is that it is a path that leads to destruction. And so notice what he says. He goes on. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and served and worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. In other words, they shifted, they clung to the wisdom of man rather than the wisdom of God. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who are consumed for the passion of one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And then he goes on, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, the wisdom of God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled, and then listen to this list, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, 
murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I mean, it got so bad that they were just inventing evil. Right? And then he goes on. He says, right after that, children in the room, listen, disobedient to parents. I mean, the fact that that one is in that list shows you the importance of walking in obedience to your parents. But then he goes on, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the path to choosing the wisdom of man rather than the wisdom of God. It leads to a toxic life that over time will fester and will grow and will lead to death. James says, be careful. Cling to the wisdom of God. So number three, final point is this, the wisdom of God, back to James, comes from God and leads to peace. Now, this is important because what is James saying? Where does the wisdom that we need come from? Notice what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom from above. What does this tell us? It tells us that in and of ourselves, we don't have the wisdom that we need to walk on a path that we need to walk. We need a different wisdom than what we have ourselves. This wisdom that God is speaking about, the wisdom of God, it comes from above. It comes from him. So where do we get it? How do we get it? Let me just show you four things. We're not going to look at all these verses, but I do encourage you to take a picture, write them down, and go study them on your own. First, Scripture says that it begins, that it comes from the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 teaches us that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Then it comes in our salvation. When we are saved and the Holy Spirit lives within us, he implants within us this word of wisdom that we have. 1 Corinthians 1.30 teaches us that. And then we know, as we studied this summer, Psalm 119, that God's word, as we infuse God's word into our lives, that it guides us to the things of God, to the wisdom of God. And then James teaches us in chapter 1, verse 5, that it is by prayer, that if we need it, we just ask. So we pray for these. And so this is where the wisdom comes from. So if you're like, well, I need this wisdom. How do I get it? This is how you get it. This is where it comes from. Go to this. Go to the word. Go to God. Trust him. Fear him. Trust in him for salvation. Scripture. Get it in you. Pray. And God will give you the wisdom that you need. Why? Because the wisdom of God is like this fountain of goodness that just continues to overflow. And this is how he describes it. He says it's first pure. He says, above all things, the wisdom of God is pure. It belongs to God, therefore it is of God. And if, he, if you go back to 127, he says, pure and faultless religion is, is caring for the orphans and the widows and abstaining from the things of the world and watching your tongue, all these kind of things. Where does that pure religion flow out of? It flows from the purity that comes from the wisdom of God, is what James is saying. But then he says, first pure, then what does the scripture says? Then peaceable. Church, don't miss this. If you are longing for peace in your life, you will never get it until you first find the purity in your life. 
It is in purity with God and fellowship with God and right standing and right relationship with God that peace in our hearts comes. And it is then, as that happens, then that we can make peace here on earth as God has called us to do. This peace is this wholeness that we are peacemakers. He goes on, he uses these other uh, descriptive words. Um, he says, uh, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits. This full of mercy and good fruits, those are tied together. This is active, this is caring, this is looking after those in need. He says that it is impartial and, 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 and sincere. The, the way that that plays out is that we are consistent in how we are treating people. You remember James says we don't show favoritism based on what someone can do for us. And so we are consistently, we are sincere in the way that we live this out. Now, it's very practical. All of this is the fruit of the wisdom. But then he says in this final verse, look at verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Church, don't miss the power of what James is saying and the beauty of it. If you've ever driven down the road and you see this massive field where it's ready to be harvested, you just think about the massive growth from just seeds. I started thinking about this week, and here's the question that I have for us as a church and us as individuals. What will be the harvest of our lives? What's going to be the harvest that comes out of this church? What's going to be the harvest that comes out of your life? And I think what James is teaching us, the result depends upon the wisdom upon which you cling to. When we cling to the wisdom of God, we will find ourselves sowing seeds of peace that lead to a harvest of righteousness, which then leads to wholeness and peace in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our community, in the world, which is what Jesus Christ has come to bring. But if we sow the seeds of envy and jealousy and man-centered wisdom, it will lead to a harvest of disorder and every vile practice. Which will you choose? James says in chapter 1, verse 5, that if you don't have it, don't worry. Because there is a God who has an abundant supply of wisdom. And he simply says, if you need it, if you're lacking in it, ask and he will pour it out upon you. Church, would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? I want to challenge you and call you to action. We as God's people need the wisdom of God. The scripture says to have that, we simply ask for it. And so I encourage you, I challenge you in this moment of response to simply pray and ask that God would grant you his wisdom, that he would give you the humility and the meekness to submit and surrender to it. But be careful because the difference is this. When we ask for God's wisdom and we are able to see clearly his plan and his will and his design and his desire for our life, then we come to a fork in the road where we have to choose, will we walk in faith in obedience to what God has shown us in his wisdom? So don't ask for it unless you're willing to walk in it. Right where you are, would you just ask the Lord for that if that's what you desire? 
Father, we as your people, we humble ourselves to say we're desperately in need for your wisdom, for your wisdom leads to godliness. It leads to righteousness. It leads to a harvest of life. God, that's what we long for. God, protect us from ourselves, protect us from our pride, protect us from our envy, protect us from any sense in which we think that we are wise in our own eyes, that we would not go down a path of disorder and vile practice. God, that you would raise up a harvest of faithfulness, of righteousness in our families, in our church, in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.